0: This isn't the real Caesar's Palace, is it?
1: What do you mean? Did Caesar live here? Um, no. I do not think
0: so. I went to Vegas last weekend. Pretty crazy.
1: Vegas, baby! Vegas! Gentlemen, welcome to Las Vegas. Why don't you give me half the money you were gonna bet? Then we'll go out back, I'll kick you in the nuts, and we'll call it a day! Some guys just can't handle Vegas. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 35 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host for this podcast trip to my favorite city on the planet, fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. For close to three years, Vegas headliners Tenors of Rock have been performing classic rock with a twist on the Las Vegas Strip. The guys made their debut in January 2017 in the big showroom at Harrah's before moving south down the strip to Planet Hollywood and the Sin City Theater in April of 2019. My special guest for this episode of the podcast is one of the founding members of Tenors of Rock, Jimmy Denning. Jimmy and I connected backstage at the Sin City Theater before a Tenors of Rock show during my last trip to Vegas. We talked about his musical career, including stints in multiple London West End musicals, the formation and history of Tenors of Rock, life in Las Vegas, and some of the side projects he's picked up since making the move to Vegas, including his foray into the world of podcasting. He also shared a random David Hasselhoff anecdote, and I embarrassed him and made things awkward by informing him that my wife is in love with him. Please enjoy my conversation with Jimmy Denning. All right, well, Jimmy Denning, thank you, first of all, for uh, taking the time, making the time for me to be able to sit and chat with you. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. You're um, welcome. I'm going to start off by embarrassing you a little bit, because okay. when, when I told my wife that I was going to be doing this interview, right. we've seen your guy's show, and uh, she said, oh, you're going to be talking to one of the guys from Tenors of Rock, and I said, yeah, I'm going to be talking to Jimmy, and she said, which one is he? And I said, uh, he's the one that wears the kilt, and she said, oh... Oh, I like I like him. He he is in my mind exactly what a Scottish guy should look like. Yeah, um,
0: yeah, I am a walking stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it.
1: No doubt about it. She she said, "Oh." Right? Oh. Yeah, you, Jimmy, yeah. And first of all, I said, "Honey, I think you need to dial it back about 10%." Yeah, you exactly you're kind of creeping me out and, and secondly if you ask me to buy a kilt i'm going to be a little bit concerned uh so i just i wanted to get that awkward out of the way yeah that's out the get way the awkwardness out first. yeah, that's yeah exactly um i want to talk a little bit about uh, i want to cover all kinds of stuff with you here but i want to start off uh first off your your background musically, you guys all started West End London, musicals, performances, things like yeah, that. Ca- yeah, sort of. Some
0: of us went the, the route of coming out of school, going into a drama college, walking out and walking into like West End Broadway type shows in, in London and in New York actually um, mine was different mine was my mum and dad are in this business so my dad used to be quite a famous comedian way back in the day you would never have heard of him because he it was, it was obviously being Scottish you know he had his own TV show and all of that kind of stuff and my mum, being a comedian herself an actress and she was forever in tv shows and so we kind of me and my sister grew up in this business so i was out with my guitars in pubs and clubs singing in the corner where no one knew you were there uh and and you know i did all sorts of those kind of gigs and then i just got a little bit uh just i don't know just didn't really fancy doing it anymore and i said i quite fancy the musicals thing and then i moved to london so i had no formal training half of us have training and half of us don't right but you have training in some way but not necessarily the traditional route yeah and i moved to london about uh, about 20 years ago on a wing and a prayer and i stayed with a friend of mine and i you, you just start to audition and but i think the fact that i didn't go to drama college actually made it better because you had a good grounding in the game so yeah we did that for about 15 years and then we set this nonsense up And uh, ten years later from that We find ourselves here in Vegas
1: <laughs> and, and this nonsense is is working out really well for you <laughs> yeah, guys
0: Yeah, it's, it's done okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: yeah, I mean, you guys now you're When was it that Tenors of Rock all kind of came together? You said it was about ten years we ago? We started
0: it in, uh, on the tenth of the tenth of the tenth uh, And as, as camp and as ridiculous and show business as this sounds All of the original members have triple have X tattooed somewhere on their body <laughs> Uh <laughs> I won't tell you where mine is. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we, we, we were all still in shows. I was doing a show called um, Sister Act at the time with Whoopi Goldberg. David was doing We Will Rock You. Johnny had just finished doing Les Miserables. And we just kind of fell into this thing of going, Do you know what, I don't want to work for anyone else anymore. And we all sang in a certain way, and we literally put this thing together as a, as a bit of a goof. To do corporate events and you know pick up money doing weddings and st- that kind of stuff mm-hmm. while we were doing the musicals, but then on the back of that, we started to get little you know uh, nice little gig here, the right person saw us, pushed us towards something else that made it something else, and it literally just built and in two thousand and twelve, we all gave up the shows and we said we 're going to do this uh, full time and the first couple of years i 'm not going to lie was a, was a very hard one because it sounds great playing to 100,000 people at Hyde Park supporting a famous band or something like this. But you don't get paid for those gigs. And it looks amazing on Instagram and Facebook, but we were only talking. We had the, the seventh anniversary of us doing the biggest gig we've ever played, which was like 120,000 people at Hyde Park. And this a the seventh anniversary last week. And we talked about it, and it was the most amazing day, most amazing experience for, for all of us. But we didn't get paid the 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 dressing room the dressing room is full of beers and you know there's a nice buffet and you get very well looked after but it's more you know ah well, we're going to give you an opportunity exposure right and that was fine at the time but as most people in this business will tell you people want you to do stuff for free a lot and unfortunately you know you don't pay your mortgage with exposure right yeah so it has to has to be a different thing but we you know we ploughed through it we're all very lucky to have supportive wives and girlfriends and whatnot and uh, that that helped throughout the time and then you you know you have ups you have downs we went on tour we didn't get paid then we did and then we didn't and it was you know everything that could possibly happen to a group happened to us and then you steadily build up a a following and you get bigger and bigger and bigger and you start to go to places and sell them out in places like Germany and Russia and Holland and and, and Belgium and stuff and then we, we did the same in the Far East and we were actually on tour in the Far East doing really well because we're we're like the beatles in the philippines it's the most bizarre thing in the world we are like the beatles in the philippines i i, I nearly swore then i don't know if i can curse on your show
1: absolutely but, yeah i yeah, shit
0: you not we we had no idea but we had had a couple of singles out and they did quite well and we're on every big show and they, they loved it so while we were over there on tour we got a phone call from um the the entertainment people at caesars and they said look we've been over several times over the years doing one nights and stuff one uh-huh. gig here and there all for free by the way because you're trying to make your way in the world that's kind of the way it is you've got to uh, hustle and they said look we've got a room and we would like you to take it so we spoke to our producers we spoke to our wives and said do you want to move to vegas in eight weeks and uh, yeah that was nearly three years ago and i've been home for one day in that three years wow my wife hasn't even been home she hasn't even managed to get home. I went home for one day because we did a corporate gig in London. Yeah. And they flew me in for the day. I spent a day in London and then flew back. That's as close as I've been to home. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's when we are nearly three years in. So,
1: so for folks that, you know, maybe aren't familiar with, with your guys' show, um, Explain the concept behind it I, I, I'll leave it to you to explain it Because you guys do such a great job yeah. of explaining it and, and I love the show like Thanks, as, a, as a music guy yeah. um, Who spent time working in, in Rock radio and is a, a Music fanatic yeah. I love the show Thanks, it, It's Very just fantastic it. um, But explain the, the whole concept and the whole idea
0: Basically what we wanted to do was To create, use a little bit of what we knew From gigging in bands To kind of adapting that and making it a little bit more not musical theatre because this is not a musical theatre show but using the thing, the tools that you learn harmonies how, in, you know, how to blend voices and stuff like this and we said why don't we just do you know what's better than one front man let's have five and now we're actually four because one of our boys very recently got uh, um, headhunted to go and join the new Jesus Christ Superstar tour and they've given him a very good deal and you know he goes with our blessing he's our you know uh, he's our brother but You know, it's basically just a big, balls-out rock concert. You know, like, what's better than having one Robert Plant? Let's have five. Mm -hmm. And that was the premise of what we tried to do. And just do a little twist on old rock classics. So, you know, everything from the Eagles to Kansas to Guns N' Roses to ACDC to literally everything you could possibly think of as when you think music was at its finest. Yeah. And like I said, we just tried to do little slight changes on the arrangements, some big harmonies. We've all got pretty big voices. And do something very unique. And, uh, you know, like, for instance, we do Bohemian Rhapsody, but we do Bohemian Rhapsody live. And we, we, we still can't find any other group in history, uh, including Queen, that ever did it live. Uh-huh. Because they recorded it, and they went off and used to get changed in it. And most, most acts tend to record certain bits because they're too difficult. And I'm saying this without much. We, we've had a look. But we do the whole thing live. Uh-huh. But the only reason you're able to do that is you can sing it, but you also have the kind of musicality to allow you to do it. So, um, I think we're pretty rare, but like I said, anyone coming to see this show, it's just a big rock concert, it's a lot of fun, we don't take ourselves very seriously, as you'll see by the way that we dress, Um, you know, and I think it's for all ages, we don't have a demographic either, which is brilliant, we have 5 year olds and we have 95 year olds, and... Because there is that common misconception that if you're in your 70s, you don't like loud music. Now, if my my dad's in his 70s and and grew up with the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and Deep Purple and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So they were around when the whole thing was born. So it's kind of insulting to that age group that, oh, they only want to listen to Tony Bennett. And I love Tony Bennett, by the way. But it's that perception that they only want to listen to Glenn Miller. And it's just really not true
1: and and the other thing too that and when uh my wife and i saw the show we saw it uh at Harris back a couple of years ago um and you guys in addition to the the, the classic rock songs and the rock songs you guys kind of showcase each other as well with some of the the musical theater stuff as well
0: yeah well do you know that whole thing came about um through david hasselhoff it's, there was a segue you weren't expecting. No, Jeff. no, so, not at all. This is the story. We had played little, tiny, little gigs where we would dep, We would sort of, so sort of, we would um, be invited to a charity event in London, and we would just do one song. So we worked for a month on one particular song, and we and we went and did it. And some of them were good, and some of them were bloody awful. But we were just doing this thing, and out of nowhere, I was never forget. I was in my dressing room doing Billy Elliot in London, and we were trying to get the tenors of rock to you know get, get some let's get some gigs and earn some money which was the was the first uh ambition and out of nowhere i get a phone call of david hasselhoff now i had worked with david several times before and he phoned me and he said i'm doing a show at the o2 in london i need a girl to sing a big musical theater duet with me who do you recommend who do you know and with our history in that environment, and also my sister is quite a big name now in the West End. She, you know, is a, kind of a consistent lead in every show she does. You knew everybody. Now, normally, you would think, oh, that, that would charge too much. But the novelty of singing in front of thousands of people at the O2 with David Hasselhoff <laughs> has, has a great allure for virtually everybody. Yeah. So we we picked up the phone to a friend of ours, Louise Diamond, who was uh, very well known for being in lead in Wicked and all this kind of stuff. And we said, Louise, would you like to sing a duet with David Hasselhoff at the O2? And before we'd even said anything about it, she went, yes, absolutely, that sounds hilarious. <laughs> so, that was fine. But then, during that conversation, he said, look, and I'm also looking for a band to support me. And uh, I just jumped on it, being the hustler that I am. And I just said, but what about us? And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm in this group called the Tenors of Rock. At the time, we were called the Rock Tenors. But, um... And he said, do you want to come and, he said, do you want to do it? And I said, yeah. He said, there's no money in it. Of course, exposure, of course, there is. But I said to the boys, I said, do you want to do this gig with David Hasselhoff? Do you want to, like, and uh, he said, look, I need 20 minutes. You do 20 minutes, and then maybe in, uh, throughout the show, you just come and do some, some backing vocals. We were like, this is going to be brilliant. So we then sent him some of the stuff that we'd done. And David is a show business icon and legend and all that kind of stuff. And he's a little bit dippy and a little bit daft but he is a heart of gold and he's very honest as well he knows exactly what he is and what he isn't and he phoned me straight back and he says that sounds amazing but I can't have you boys going on before me (laughs) (laughs) no no shit that's what he said and he said look he says I'm just not having it he said it's just you're great he says it's fantastic he said I wish you luck he said but this is my show and I've got to be the I've got to be the star and that's what he's made a career out of and I totally respect that and I said no problem so then I said look you're doing the first half of your show as as musical theatre and the second half is all of his pop hits from germany and all this kind of stuff and i said why don't we sing a musical theatre song why don't we arrange a musical theatre song and he went okay if you can do that then that gives me a chance to go and change a jacket and he says it's not really invasive on my show so then we said well what do we do we 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 set this group up to get away from musical theatre and now we're being asked to do musical theatre and he sent me through bring him home or music of the night and because Johnny had just spent seven years in Le he was like I am not singing that song anymore <laughs> so that's why we chose Music of the Night so we literally went to Music we, 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 we got an, uh, our MD at the time who went through the whole stuff with us we did an arrangement we sent it to David he says that's brilliant and we ended up premiering it at the O2 in London with David Hasselhoff um, basically 70% Germans in the audience yeah, going absolutely crazy for him and uh at that gig, we actually got approached by a record company and they said, does anyone manage you? And he said, no, 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 we just, we blagged our way onto this. You know, it was, it was very fortuitous. And they said, do you want a do you want to have a conversation? And our manager at the time, Gareth, said, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll come and have a chat with you. And then from there, they get a little bit of money behind you. They put you in good uh, outfits. You know, they spend a bit of money on production. And that was the kind of start of it. You know, I mean, it was, like I said, rocky road, but... Since then, the music of the night thing has taken on a whole new thing because we do so much rock music. It's really funny, after the shows, the one song you get commented on, they always go, oh, I love that musical theatre song. And it always kind of sh- sends a shudder down our backs because we can't ever take it out of the show now. In fact, we're looking at doing some other stuff because a lot of the people that come and see the show, they might like classic rock, but they do love the Broadway thing. you know. So yeah. we're, we're, I, think we've always, I think we've made a decision that we'll always do one. Every set that we do, we'll always do at least one musical theater song with a rock kind of twist to it. Sure. So yeah, that's the genesis of uh, Music of the Night being involved with Led Zeppelin and the Eagles.
1: <laughs> that's amazing. Well, and uh, you know what's funny is I think musical theater in some ways is it's a bit of a guilty pleasure for people that are fans of um, that are fans of rock music and fans of classic rock. Like sure. I myself. I am I love you know everything from AC/DC to Zeppelin, yeah. but I also kind of love Mamma Mia from ABBA, and I've yeah. seen Phantom like six times. Sure, and, sure, I get it. Uh, you know, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. Sneaking that into a show like this, I think is, is pretty brilliant.
0: I think it's, do you know what the thing is? I don't think people expect it. Now, yeah. for those people listening to this, I am six foot four, I'm 300 pounds, I have bright ginger hair, I normally have a mohawk, I am, uh, you know, built like a tank. And then most of the boys are covered in tattoos or, you know, have long hair. You know, all the all the rebel signs that, you know. Yeah. We're naturally those kind of people. So when you can actually do ACDC and scream your, you know, your tits off and everything's fine, to be able to do a musical theatre song and, and hopefully pull it off to a, to, a, to a good standard, it actually shocks people because they're not really expecting it. Yeah. Uh, they're not really expecting you to be... I hate to use words like tender But do you know what I mean Sure Because tender's not something Or subtle It's not words that you would normally associate with Especially me No So yeah, I think that's what works So the fact that you I think it's nice to show that you've got Other things in the bag Other than Just, just doing the straight down the line rock music You know Mm-hmm and it seems to have worked. It seems to have worked.
1: And how? I mean, how do you guys decide? How did you decide what songs you wanted to put in? Was it kind of a group thing? Yeah, everybody just kind of presented something. Sort
0: of. We, we. It's maybe a very strange thing, but when we first started out, the founders of the group, um, myself, um, uh, Gareth, who I mentioned, who's no longer with us, he he um, he moved back to the UK, but. His brother 's still in the show uh, die or David uh, die is Welsh for David by the way, if ever you hear me say that i don 't want him to die uh, <laughs> well, not always um, but no and and Johnny as well, you know we we used to sit down and talk about songs and, and it 's weird how ideas certain people. You know, it's how, did, how did Lennon and McCartney kind of figure out how they did their thing or Glenn Fry and Don Henley they just did something and it worked and we kind of knew that was the way it was you know we had good people that, certain people that were better at arrangements certain people the easiest thing to do was go into a studio and figure out who would sing what bit that's the easiest thing in the world because you just know if you open up a song and it's dead um, emotional and it just requires a velvet voice, that's John every day of the week if you need someone to hit the most outrageous tie notes, that's David every day of the week, if someone needs to come in and do Bob Seeger meets Meatloaf and Joe Cocker, that's me, we all just kind of knew where you sit a song and this is the harmonies, we know who takes the top harmony, we know who takes the bottom one we know how the middle split, it's kind of it's just kind of morphed into that over the years and like t- today we're like yesterday we were working on all the kind of new stuff for the show and it's just, it's actually quite easy because uh-huh. we all know each other so well. We know what we do well and what we don't do well and everyone accepts it. And yeah, of course we argue and bits and pieces, but we're all pretty good at listening to each other's ideas and taking them on board, you know? So I think we're very lucky because we don't really fall out. Uh-huh. I mean, we do fall out, of course, but it, not, not to the same level of creatively, you're, you know, you, you have one ego bigger than the other. No, I don't think so. I think we all want the same thing and we all know what works, and we play to it Nobody's you know? ever stormed off And F this I'm oh, done Oh yeah Oh every yeah Of course <laughs> <laughs> Of course Of course that happens But you know That's You know, it's, you know That's You know it's, This is the business That you're in But you know We've been doing this For nine I see nine years You know Nine years in October It will be And it's like We're all still pals We'll huh. still drink together We'll still hang out With our families And you know We'll all still come Into the dressing room Every night And we'll Bitch and moan About the same things um but in like in general we're still very lucky you know yeah. we, we've still got a good chemistry on the stage. We all like each other, but I think we all respect each other if i'm being honest that's probably what it is. You all respect everyone's different ages, experiences, what they know and what they don't know mm-hmm. you know uh and it's you know we're not afraid to i'm ten years older than die, for instance, but i'm not afraid to go to die because he's very he's a much better musician than I am and especially with harmonies and things like that I so can if I can't figure something out I'll just go to him and he'll go no 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 it's there mate you sing this and then I sing that ah cool fine yeah but I think we all have to respect we're all good at different things mm-hmm. and it seems to have worked we're still we're still here and yeah the, and the checks are still clearing so <laughs> that's
1: the important <laughs> thing mate. I was going to say that's, that's the, the important, important thing yeah yeah as long as the as long as the checks are still coming oh, through yeah. the money's still keeps coming keeps the wife off me back yeah, exactly yeah! <laughs> um you mentioned about getting the call to come to vegas and you said you had what eight weeks notice
0: yeah i think it was i think it was the first week of september i believe and we moved we moved at the end of november wow
1: and and you guys were initially signed on to go work at harrah's yeah and then made the move over here to planet hollywood yes indeed was that a little bit stressful or did you guys know what was going on?
0: You know, you tend to know. This town's a small town. I mean, you've been here yeah. in, enough to, to know, and you've worked with a, a lot of the people, and I'm sure the stories are the same. This is a small town. Uh-huh. It, it might seem to a visitor that this is, oh my God, look at this. This is, this is a very small town, especially if you've worked in New York and London in the business. You realize here, everybody knows each other. Everybody, uh, it's a good community, if I'm being honest, uh, much better than a big city. But everyone knows, so you are not long in finding out that you might be moving or this and that. The situation with us moving was a uh, literally nothing to do with uh, ticket sales or anything to do with the show. It was a logistics thing that um, a, a show that had a bigger, much bigger set and a much bigger budget than ours came in, and they wanted to facilitate that one whilst keeping us within the what they call the Caesar's Entertainment family. So, the uh, fortuitously at the time. Planet Hollywood was an option for us. We came, we had a look, we met with the people, we signed on the dotted line, and and now Heartbreak Hotel, the Elvis musical, is in the Harris Room. But of course, that's a much bigger production than, one, than what we've got. You know, so right. it's a big cast, it's a big set, all of that kind of stuff. And so they needed a big big bigger room. So um, yeah, I mean, and, and it's also you know you, you go where you you go where you're told. To have three years nearly in this town is something we're, we're really proud of. Yeah, because we were told three months. They said you're not going to last Any more than three months So enjoy it And Mm -hmm. enjoy it We did (laughs) But then when you get to month four And you're thinking Oh Jesus Are we going to be staying here And then of course You know you have families You have people that My wife gave up her career She's an actress Mm -hmm. She gave up a very successful career To come here with me And still not been home In nearly three years Jeez Um, But there has to come a point Where you're going Are we going to stay here Or are we not Or Is there a future here for us After the show finishes Or are we just going to have a goof And then go home and I think the majority of us all want to stay, you know, um, they, and, you know, we're fortunate we've had green cards accepted and we have other business things that we're doing here in the States. And this country allows you to do those things, which is amazing. Yeah. It'll be a lot more difficult back at home. But here you get the feeling that, you know, if you, if you want it to work for it, you can do it, which uh-huh. is a great thing. So, and uh, I'll always be very appreciative of it. But yes, yeah, so it was, it was total whirlwind, but that's just the way that it is. You get used to it.
1: Was there any trepidation on your guys' part to, to make that move and, you know, come over I here and know, you know. not, know, you know, not I, know for sure how long it might go?
0: Do you know at the time someone, someone that, especially if you're in our game, and someone says, to you, do, you want to, do you want to be a headliner in Las Vegas? And you do immediately think, it sounds so, so cliche, but you do immediately think Elvis and Tom Jones and, and Frank Sinatra and D. Martin, and you're thinking, I'm going to be one of them. That's pretty cool. And at the time, you just go, I've always been a wing and a prayer kind of guy. So, and fortunately, my wife's the same. And she just said, let's just do it. So we all agreed. And like I said, we had the most stressful two months of our lives trying to pack everything away, get rid yeah. of the houses that we were all in. Some had to sell houses and still have houses back home that they pay for or get rid of the house you were renting or whatever. It was, no, but I don't think so. I think we all backed ourselves. We know we, could, we, we know we'd do a good show. We, and we've we've proven that all over the world in, in in every different kind of situation. I'd like to think we've never failed. Uh-huh. Um, we'll always give you a show, and uh, yeah, I think we've always just backed ourselves. So the fact we've always backed ourselves, we end up in Las Vegas. It's not really intimidating to us because you're going, look, this is apparently where the best of the best is. Cool. Well, let's see how good we are then. And that yeah. was that was our opinion, you know, with no, uh, uh, you know. um no idea how it would go, but we 're right. just going to go listen let 's just go and do what we do and fortunately, we threw ourselves into the community, we threw ourselves into the in to being supportive like everyone else was supportive of us, and like I said, two and a half years later, many a good show has come and gone since we 've been here, yeah little old us from the u k and uh I think we 've got good work ethic, so we just whatever'll we'll be will be you know And yeah. that's that 's always been our. Don't take yourself too seriously. Don't mm-hmm. take the show too seriously. Take it seriously from a production point of view and from a content point of view. But you know what? There's, there's children dying in the world. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more important things to worry about than whether we're going to sell tickets or not. Yeah, We can always figure something out. But fortunately, we've, we've always sold tickets. Yeah. So it's never really been a massive stress, to be honest with you.
1: Something that I've found in the time and all the trips that I've been coming here and as I've been getting to know people um, is how charitable this las vegas is and yeah. the, and and the entertainment community is were you guys kind of surprised by that when you got here or had you heard ahead of time how involved everybody was and how generous everybody was it only
0: really becomes apparent when you're here permanently but we've been we played vegas three times i think beforehand and uh little one-nighters we we were over doing some shows in la and and in, up in Canada and we always tried to say whenever we came across this side of the water let's try and get a night in Vegas now that could well be gigging a charity event or trying to find someone that you knew here that could give you a, a lounge for the evening and even if you were just doing a little free show with backing tracks it was just to try and build some form of profile and get the right people to come in and see you and that's essentially what happened to us so uh, we knew a lot of people we knew there was a lot of this kind of stuff going on but when you're here It genuinely is a very inspiring uh, community to be in because the, uh, everyone helps each other. All right, there's obviously going to be spoons out there um, that that don't like you, but I don't don't lose any sleep over people like that, but the nature of the the game is that, you know, you go to a Monday's Dark and Monday's Dark, for any listeners, is a a huge charity event that we do every two weeks here in in Vegas. And... uh, for a different charity, $10,000 is raised every single time. And the great and the good of the business goes down and lends their talents to Mark Chinook and all the guys down there. And that's just one. You know, that's just one event. There's, for, there's forever, there's forever a, 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 an event or something to go to where you can lend your support. And it's, it's a great thing. It really is. And, and I genuinely believe that most people don't do it for their own professional game because mm-hmm. I'm a very me and my wife work at the the rescue mission here the homeless mission because that's something that means it's like a private kind of meaning to me you know so you go down and do it you know you don't take photographs of it and I know we're talking about it right now but my, my point being people just do stuff here mm-hmm. everyone wants to help and whether you phone famous comedians or famous magicians or something like it, I would say 99 times out of 100 everyone says yes I'll be there I'll walk the red carpet for you or I'll tweet about it or I'll come and show my support and buy a ticket. It's great. And it's a very, very inspiring thing to to have that mixed in with an entertainment uh, uh, city like this because in London and in New York and LA, it's a very, very different thing. Everyone's out for their, you know, for for themselves and mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. But here... I don't know. It's a, it's a, it was a really welcoming kind of thing, but it's the great community here, great community entertainment-wise,
1: and that's kind of what I've I've heard because I I mean I've got friends that work in New York as well, and and you know friends that have come here that have worked in New York who have said you know in in New York people will. Stab you in the back just yeah. as soon as look at you. Whereas yeah. here, somebody will say, "Oh, did you hear about such and such a gig? No, I haven't. Oh, you should call so and so, yeah. and you should do this." Mm-hmm. It's it's a very different different city for that. Like everybody wants to see each other succeed, which is I,
0: so cool. And this is that's genuinely our thing. I don't, I don't. We don't we don't have rivals. We don't have this. Well, I hope I hope every single show sells out every single night from Cirque to the smallest comedy shows where maybe, genuinely, hand on my heart, never want, I don't think there's any future in being a bitter, twisted entertainer because you're not selling tickets, you want everyone else to fail. If you're not selling tickets, you might want to look at what you're selling. Right. You know what I mean? It's pretty standard kind of stuff. But here, I would say in general, if you're an idiot or you behave in a bad way, it gets around the town very, very quickly. And I think that's maybe the way the town has self-regulated over the years. Right. To the point where there is a very tight-knit community here. People are willing to help you in every way they can. And I think if you're not willing to have the same ethic and morals as everyone else, I don't think you'll last very long here. You really don't. And we've seen it. We've seen people behave dreadfully. But they're no longer here. Mm -hmm. Now, that might just be because they're found out. You know, they don't get invited to the the right things. They don't know the, you know, and... we've been uh, we've been very very lucky because it is it's not an environment that we're used to because of being in, in you know in London and New York and LA and working in those kind of environments where it is very cutthroat we were totally expecting it to be cutthroat and i suppose it is but it's a lot more it's a lot tamer you're always going to get people with ambition to try and walk over you there then people are always going to exist but here in general right now if we had a problem with Microphones, all our microphones went an hour before the show. there's about ten phone calls we can make, and it would be sorted and it wouldn't be a, a, even a financial thing. It would be a friend that gigs around the corner. It would be another show around the corner that just happens to have it, and everybody pitches in it's a, it's a it's a It's a very cool thing mm-hmm. genuinely a very very cool thing
1: yeah it's funny it It's funny that you mention about people getting found out about that because I've had those conversations with other people in town yeah. that have said, oh yeah so and so pissed off this producer and Hey, guess what? They're not working anymore. Yeah. they're moving to LA. Yeah,
0: that's, do you know what? That's the way it should be. Be a nice person. It doesn't cost you anything. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, you know and that's, that's that's literally it. But I like the way that you don't get run out of town. That sounds like the old Wild West, but, right? But people just don't want to work with you. Yeah, and you know, you get more help when it's a charity event for yourself. We had a Monday's Dark for the for the mission, and Mark and the guys at Monday's Dark gave us an evening so we could highlight the the mission and get them some uh, well-needed funds but you only get those things when i've done a million of those shows for mark for instance and the boys have always stepped in and and jumped in if you give to them they'll give back to you you know and uh and that's something to be very grateful for Mm -hmm. you know really is
1: yeah and being here in town And for the length of time That you've been here You've been able to start Picking up a few extra Little side projects Yeah um, You've jumped into The podcast world I
0: have for my sins Yes I'm, I've, I've joined the dark side
1: <laughs> I've joined the dark side You're a uh, you're a boxing fan
0: I am yes Yeah yeah huge And I used to be a uh, I used to fight amateurs And I kind of grew up In the boxing game Aside from the Entertainment world you know, um, the, a lot of the family and friends and stuff were involved in the game. So I've been sitting ringside and in boxing gyms and getting punched in the face for a large period of my life. Hence uh, hence the way I look. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it was just a thing. And then we came to Vegas. And once you are in Vegas, I love a good podcast. I really do. And uh, I thought, I, I, um, I want to do something that I'm kind of passionate about. Yeah. And the two sports that I love is is football or soccer Uh, but obviously no one knows that here and I'm thinking "Ah, well why would you do that it doesn't really make much sense but then boxing of course this is being the sort of home of boxing yeah everybody who's anybody in boxing lives here or comes here a lot Mm -hmm. because of the the fights that will be on or the exhibitions or the hall of fame or anything like that so yeah I, I have a friend of mine here Billy Corrigan who is a former heavyweight and he he now works in working with a lot of older fighters in for endorsements and, you know, signings and that kind of thing. And, uh, another buddy of mine, Joe D'Amico, who is an amateur boxer back in New York. And Joey's a big gambling guy here, so he's a big uh, handicapper.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And I just said to them one day, I said, listen, I said, would you be interested? I think the three of us got good knowledge of the fight game. We've been going to fights for years. We know a lot of people in the game. Should, do you fancy doing do a boxing podcast? And they, they both just said, yeah, of course. And, mm-hmm from that onwards we we tried to facilitate it. we tried to look at this and that and just literally learning from the ground up but the one thing you'd never have to struggle with is guests yeah so like in, in the first three episodes we've only been doing it like for like what five weeks six weeks you know and we've got hall of famers we were at the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame the other week and you're just there and one person introduces you to another person that just happens to be a hero of mine and if you're not a boxing fan you probably wouldn't know half of them who they were but if you are a boxing fan you'd absolutely know who they are but they all live in Vegas Uh and now we're getting three episodes in we're now getting people phoning me saying I'm I'm, I'm in Vegas can I come on the show and you're thinking this is awesome Yeah. so like I said it's just a little bit of a labour of love something that we do but because you're in Vegas it's the, the people that are here you'd be surprised who lives next door to you. Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, and that was it. And then the other, the other podcast we do. so by the way, that one's called the Sin City Sluggers. So if you are a boxing fan, give it a shout. But um, the, other, the other podcast was in amongst us talking about doing my boxing podcast my uh, or our lead guitarist Chris Cicchino who if you've never seen a guitarist one of the best guitarists on the on the face of the God's green earth Chris is amazing so Chris was yeah. with uh, has played with everybody but um, he moved to Vegas when he was asked to do the lead guitar in Rock of Ages so if anyone's seen that show you'll literally have seen Chris no doubt he played all of the shows in Vegas and um, yeah and Chris is a great ranter and uh, literally loves a good rant and yeah. he is he is I don't know. He's just he's anti everything, like literally. <laughs> one day he's anti Trump, and then it's anti Hillary, and then it's anti guns, and then I'm pro guns, and you know I I, I, I I hate Eminem, I and then I love Eminem. It's just it like it's it's it really is a roller coaster of of a you know a, a kind of s- s- skinny New York Italian guy that's just 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 frustrated with the world. <laughs> so we just said why don't we why don't we um, put together something where. I can just mediate <laughs> and make sure that you don't get us uh, arrested or deported. Yeah, and uh, and just let him go. So we're just working on that at the minute. We've done uh, we've done uh, some tests some tests of stuff. So that's going to be coming out very very soon. We're still discussing the name, but I don't even think you want to know the name on on your podcast. To be honest with you, right now it's. Um, <laughs> we haven't confirmed the name yet but if it's the one that he would really really like I don't think my uh, grandmother would be very appreciative (laughs) so I'm going to leave that one there but yeah so it's just about the facility that this place this you know uh, everyone wants to help yeah you know and uh, everybody wants to get involved and and support these little things and stuff that's going on so having a show on the strip helps getting guests because at least it gives you some form of validity I
1: suppose sure yeah
0: you know a 30 foot you know scotsman in a kilt on a billboard but um yeah and, and it, like you said it was just something to 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 get your teeth into that wasn't in the entertainment business it's just something that's a labour of love yeah. so now we go to the fights we cover the fights we you know we're, we're forever at the, the the garden or um uh, the t-mobile arena and stuff it's brilliant it, like, yeah I'm, I'm like a kid in a sweet shop it's brilliant
1: that's awesome well i i really do wish you guys continued success here on the strip um and in vegas it's it's a fantastic show and uh people absolutely need to come out and see it because they are going to love this show
0: thanks mate i very much appreciate it
1: no and i appreciate you taking the time to uh, to sit and chat anytime You can catch Tenors of Rock seven nights a week at the Sin City Theater in Planet Hollywood. Get tickets at com. And if you're a fan of the sweet science, be sure to check out Jimmy's podcast, Sin City Sluggers, where he and his friends Joe D'Amico and Bill Corrigan share their favorite stories from the world of boxing. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts and follow them on Twitter at Sin Sluggers. Links are in the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. All right, that pretty much wraps things up for this time around. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any episode for that matter, please feel free to reach out via social media or email me directly at jeff at walkernewmedia.com. And if you're looking for ideas or suggestions for your own Vegas vacation, whether it's for hotels, restaurants, shows, or attractions, go ahead and get in touch via Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at JeffDoesVegas, or drop me an email. In the meantime, thanks again for listening. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. Be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean. And don't forget to visit jeffdoesvegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been episode number 35 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast, a Walker New Media production.